hello, 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 and welcome to yet another episode of Geek Steep. I'm Marika. My name is Kelly. And it's a good day, Kelly. It's a good day when your topic is Star Wars. No, I'm so excited. It's a both episode, so if you're not sure what that means, we have a wonderful introduction episode you can watch that explains our format and what we're about. But this is a fandom that we both love Mm -hmm. that doesn't happen often. Nope. And we are really excited to dive into it. It's a fandom that I think as a species we love. I mean, this is... This is huge. This is the one of the fandom of fandoms, right? This is goes back a really long way. It's a cultural icon. Um, multi-generational. It's multi-generational. It's meant so much to so many people. And we'll be exploring a very specific area of the Star Wars universe today. But before we dive in, Kelly, what's in your cup? I am drinking rosemary black pepper. Ooh. It is a soup tea. From David's Tea. I see what you're doing here. Yeah. (laughs) So, we're watching or talking about The Mandalorian today. And I picked this one because of the super iconic scene that went heavily, heavily viral, even way outside the Star Wars fandom, with the child, or as he's often referred to, Baby Yoda. So cute. Drinking bone broth out of a cup. Although it went really viral uh, and was used as a meme with it being tea. That's a stand-in for Mm -hmm. tea. Always drove me crazy because it's not fucking tea. (laughs) I was like, all right, how do I recreate this with it being accurate but also getting the tea in there? So soup tea. It is a broth. It is a tea. (laughs) It is both. Everyone is happy. I like how you're like correcting this viral meme. Like it wasn't tea. It, was it wasn't soup, tea. But I can work with that. You have enough teas in your collection that you're like, it's all right. I can work with that. <laughs> so you're drinking. It's a it's a it's a soup that has tea incorporated into it. Sure, or a tea that has soup qualities. Uh, you can call it either or. It's got green tea in it, but it also has uh, rosemary and black pepper, obviously. Mm-hmm. But tomato, garlic. It's savory. Um, very, very savory. I, I like that. That's very well thought out, very well chosen. Um, you're even drinking it out of a uh, mug that doesn't have a handle. So you've got both hands, for those of you who can't see, which is everyone, um, <laughs> you've got both hands around your cup. It's very soupy, very comforting. Um, I gave absolutely no thought to the tea that I chose today. I just chose a tea that I felt like drinking. Um, so I am drinking chocolate cardamom black tea from a tea house in Gatineau, Quebec called Chai. Um, I really like them. They do direct sourcing. They travel to the countries directly to get their teas. And they, they really specialize in their Puar selection is really, really good. Um, and they don't have a lot of flavored teas. And so what I like is that it's really just chocolate and cardamom. And so you still taste the base of the tea really nicely. I'm a cardamom addict. I put more cardamom in tea anytime I can. Like, I'm always putting it in my chais. I'm putting way more of that than any other spice. So it's perfect for me. I just chose that. Zero thought. It's good. I'm drinking it. I feel, like, really underprepared right now <laughs> compared to you. <laughs> I think but, that's a great 
tea. I You don't always have to have the most thought put into everything. If it's a good cup, it's a good cup. But I just needed to get it out of my system that it's not tea in the cup. Like, it's, <laughs> it's broth. There's a difference. The background of the geek, you know, the history of the geek. If you don't know Star Wars, I can't help you. I mean, it's, it's everywhere. So I'm going to talk about my first introduction to the geek, I think is probably the best way to start because I think everyone has been introduced in a way or another, just in a really different way. I'm dreading hearing about Kelly's first introduction to the geek because although we don't want to bring it up every episode, there is an age difference. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, you start, I'll cut in with the thing you don't want to hear after. (laughs) That's good. Okay, so my first introduction to Star Wars was when I was eight or nine, for some reason, the local TV station here in Montreal, TVA, had Return of the Jedi almost like every Friday. It felt like every Friday, I know it wasn't, but that's how it felt, was on TV. Return of the Jedi dubbed in French. And so my first introduction to Star Wars was dubbed Ewoks. And I just didn't, <laughs> I didn't understand why people like these movies. Um, So it was a terrible first introduction. And also I grew up in a very science fiction heavy house and not a fantasy heavy house. And Star Wars is fantasy. You know, no one's ever reflecting on the changes that lightsabers have brought to the human race. You know, it's it starts off, you know, in a galaxy far, far away, you know, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. This is fantasy. So I really ignored it. Right up until the moment that they re-released the original trilogy as a special edition in 1997. And then I went to the theater to see it. It was only playing in one theater in downtown Montreal. And I went with a few friends of mine and hundreds of people showed up in costume. It was like my first introduction to rabid, overt fandom you know and I got really excited and you see that first movie and it's brilliant it's really really a brilliant brilliant movie it's aged a bit yes but on the big screen there's something magical about Star Wars and so that was kind of my first introduction and after that you know Empire Strikes Back which is one of the greatest movies ever made Return of the Jedi which is an acceptable movie (laughs) and I got really excited for the prequels um and, uh, yeah, I, uh, it happened. It happened. <laughs> it happened. And, uh, we survived. We've survived. We've come this far and that's what matters. Um, so yeah, that was, but I, I loved it. You know, uh, Darth Vader, the force, may the force be with you. The Death Star, the Emperor, C-3PO, R2-D2. These are iconic things that I'm throwing out there that I think even if you don't know the geek, you've had some kind of you know, interaction with it. So, okay, Kelly, I'm bearing down. I'm ready. What was your first introduction to Star Wars? So I feel like I have to give a bit of context, uh, just like on, on me personally. Okay. But I, as a kid, lived in a small rural uh, village, really, called Eyebrow. So oh. we're talking Eyebrow, Saskatchewan. Population of about 100, 150. 50 individual people. Okay. A lot of them, uh, seniors, it was kind of like a retirement village. Uh, And then other than the seniors, it was the people who ran the different businesses for the village and then a farming community. It was also pretty religious. Mm -hmm. um, Very like 
Christian roots, small village kind of vibe. Mm-hmm. And I watched, for the very first time, my introduction to Star Wars, Phantom Menace. Okay, there it is. Yeah, uh, I had a feeling. <laughs> I watched it in theaters okay. uh, when it was airing, which means I would have been four. See, that should irritate me, but I find it adorable. Like, you're four years old watching your first Star Wars in theaters. That's just, like, the cutest image I could possibly have. So I went with my dad and a childhood friend uh, named Wyatt. And we definitely went because my dad wanted to go. Uh, We just really quickly did the math prior to this. Mm -hmm. And he would have been in his teens when the original Star Wars uh, trilogy came out. So, like, prime age to really, like, dig that. Of course, he must have been just rabid wanting to watch this prequel. Absolutely. Uh, So we had to drive into a different city to see it. It was, like, a full day trip (laughs) to go and watch this movie. Dedication! We were in the theaters and I was loving it. I remember like really clearly just like absolutely adoring it. But Wyatt, who was sitting next to me, was not. Um, He was finding it very overwhelming. And Mm. I just really clearly remember Darth Maul comes on screen and he breaks down crying. Wait, like at the... Wait, the first fight or the second fight? Like the first time Darth Maul was oh, on no. And, you know, he's just in tears. So my dad has to pull me and Wyatt out of this theater, uh, which must have been crushing to him, honestly. Yeah, that's be- but, you know, as a parent, you do what you got to do, man. Like, And I just remember Wyatt, you know, sobbing, choking back tears, just kind of whimpering, like, oh, my God, he looks like the devil. <laughs> I shouldn't laugh. It's horrible. I shouldn't laugh. I'm sorry. So that was my intro to Star Wars. I loved it, but I always felt like a little dissatisfied because I never saw the end to the movie. Well, you've seen it since, I should have. Well, yes. Yeah, yeah. I've seen... I I saw the rest of the prequel movies when they were airing in theaters, and I've obviously seen, you know, the original trilogy Mm -hmm. many, many, many times now. Uh, the sequel, you know, also got to watch that while I was in theaters, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. So I've I've done the rotation. I acknowledge that the prequels aren't great, but they definitely did the trick to hook me and like send me on the rest of that journey and uh, discovery. That's, yeah, the, the prequels are look. If we ever get do an episode on the prequels, God help us, because it'll just be me swearing from beginning to end. But um, it does have all the components that attract you to Star Wars. You know, it's got the great fights. It's got the epic battle between good and evil. Um, Natalie Portman. Hey, who doesn't like Natalie Portman? Exactly. Ewan McGregor. We just That's had an episode true. where we were talking about how much we love Ewan McGregor. So, um, but, uh, it, it's, it's epic. It's really large scale. You know, the galaxy is at war. Uh, it's a war for the, you know, the soul of everyone who lives in the galaxy, um, but today we're going to talk about The Mandalorian, which is the Disney Plus original series that started airing last year. Um, and if you don't know what a Mandalorian is, uh, it's the Mandalorian origin is Boba Fett. And maybe you don't know who I'm talking about when I say Boba Fett, but you have seen the image of Boba Fett. I guarantee you got a helmet with a black slit at his eyes and a slit running down the center of the helmet, generally carrying some kind of weapon. 
And this character who originated in the Star Wars Christmas special has taken over the planet's collective imagination. Um, So yeah, there was... If you don't know what the Star Wars Christmas special is, you need to Google it immediately. Just stop listening to our episode. Go watch it because it is a train wreck from A to Z. It is just... I mean, have you seen it, Kelly? Yeah, I have. It's yeah. it's bad. It's, uh, it's a Christmas special that was aired in 1977 after A New Hope came out. Everyone was super excited for it. Um, and it's got like, I think Nipsey Russell is in it and, and there's like musical features and it's about the, the, um, it's about Chewbacca celebrating Christmas with his family. Like it makes no sense, like top to bottom, just nonsense, bananas. So, but there was a animated vignette in it with a bounty hunter character. And I don't think he even had a name or they said, maybe they said his name. I don't remember. It's very hard to watch this, the Star Wars Christmas special. Um, and he was immediately, he captured everyone's imagination. It was really wild. And the character was formally introduced like in the flesh in the Empire Strikes Back. So he's the bounty hunter who actually takes down Han Solo for the Empire. Iconic character, has maybe four to five lines in the entire trilogy, and can be found on numerous t-shirts, mugs, Lego sets. Like He really took the fandom by storm with very, very little backstory. So... Wait, let me think. Return of the Jedi is 1983. So between 1983 and like 2001, I think is when Attack of the Clones came out, there was no canonical information about Boba Fett. So he just lived in our imaginations. And with the introduction of the prequels, a little bit more about the culture that he comes from came out. And we learned that the Mandalorians are essentially bounty hunters but they live by a very very strict moralistic code and disney plus decided to capitalize on our love of this very not very well-known character and our apparently uh unquenchable thirst for more star wars (laughs) And, like, you can't fault them for that. You can't. And it's really great seeing more of Mandalore explored. Um, We probably should say, when this episode is airing, Mm -hmm. a second season of The Mandalorian will have been out. Yeah. But it's not out when we're recording. This this episode comes to you from the past. We have no idea what they're talking about in season two. So if season two is a train wreck... Or something, like, we have no idea. We're innocent at this point. We've only seen the first season of The Mandalorian. And, uh, yeah, it was great. I'm going to spoil it now. It was great. I had such a good time (laughs) watching this show. It was so, I don't know how, I don't know how you felt. No, it's just absolutely delightful. And I'm sure, you know, when this airs, we'll, I'm sure, have both already watched the second season. Yes. So maybe in our blog, uh, you can check out, maybe we'll do a comparison, see if any predictions or things we hypothesized for the second season actually like came to fruition. Maybe we got it all wrong. But Who knows? But that's the fun of it. The fun of it is kind of to, to go further with it in our minds. So the Mandalorian tells the story of one Mandalorian named Din, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, Din. 
Um, they don't say his name very often. They call him Mandalorian or Mando, and so I actually had to remember that he has an actual name. Din Djarin. Thank you. Or or Mando. I'm just calling him Mando now. That's just how I refer to him. But it talks about uh, Din uh, going on a bounty uh, for he knows not what. He knows it's a quarry of some kind, and he finds what has now become an absolute cultural phenomenon in 2019 and 2020, Baby Yoda, or they call him the child within the series, but visually everyone will know he's Baby Yoda. And he creates a kind of bond and connection to this child and uh, gives him up and then goes and rescues him and uh, becomes a father figure to this child and goes goes on to protect him. And the entire series, I mean, I don't, I don't know how you felt. It was very quiet. It's a very quiet, very slow-paced series, yet it's only 28 minutes long. The average episode, it's a drama, but it's only like about half an hour long. And I just immediately got captivated. The first thing that captivated me was the music. That I was like on it's excellent. board. Um, it's very spaghetti western. It's very very Ennio Morricone. Um, and it already sets the tone for a lone wolf character, for a rogue samurai, for that cowboy riding into, you know, the desolate town at the beginning of a cowboy movie. And it kind of reminded me about the best parts of the original Star Wars, which was those endless walks in in Tatooine, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, we know that... George Lucas based a lot of Star Wars on the films of Akira Kurosawa, uh, Hidden Fortress, Seven Samurai. And so there is this kind of... It wasn't unusual to have this tone in a Star Wars movie. It was like, oh, right, okay, we're exploring that part of Star Wars. Not the galactic-level fights, not the lightsaber fights, not the Jedi and their religion or the rebellion, you know, the the... The fandom of Star Wars has many, 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 many branches. And this was very much the outer rim. Uh, no, absolutely the outer rim. And it was really refreshing to see that, you know, it's it feels small scale in that, you know, this is not a galactic battle for, mm-hmm. you know, all of, not even mankind, but like all kind, mm-hmm. right? And this is like a personal, you know, one character who formed one bond and connection and his story of, you know, protecting this not quite defenseless, but kind of defenseless, you know, infant, right? He's, yeah, he, he, he may be more powerful than we believe, but they kind of hint at it. But he's basically just a tiny little baby Yoda and we have to protect him. We looked at three episodes specifically. So we looked at The Child, which is episode two. Sanctuary, which is episode four, and The Prisoner, which is episode six. So, Kelly, what did you think of The Child? I mean, it's great. You get to see Mando, Din, you know, basically being a badass, taking down uh, all of the annoying little pesks right at the (laughs) beginning of the episode. The Jawas! The Jawas are so annoying. I love Jawas. (laughs) I do not love Jawas. But okay, explain. <laughs> no, no, no. We don't need to get into it. They're just 
I don't know. I just find them annoying. Um, but it, it's still a wonderful scene. You get to see him being a total badass. Yeah. The fight scenes, the choreography, everything is wonderful. Mm-hmm. You get more of the dynamic between you know, him and the child fleshed out. You get the coolest moment at the end. Uh, with the child like lifting up with the force, yes. you know, this beast, right? Yes. And like, I think everyone when they saw it, you know, this small um, baby Yoda <laughs> in in when his like cradle, the floating the pod. Fl- he's, he's in thing. a floating crib, basically a, t- a, a tiny floating crib. Yeah. I think the first time you see him in that, in the pilot episode, like, everyone, I'm sure, knew. You know, whatever he was, who he was, was probably going to be Force-sensitive, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You know, the, really the only other uh, character of this species that we know is Yoda, right? Um, One of the things I think got confusing for people who maybe aren't Star Wars fans, who saw all of the Baby Yoda memes, who, like, assumed this was Yoda as an infant, not... Not the case. Yeah, it's not possible because the Mandalorian takes place five years after Return of the Jedi, which is when Yoda dies. Yoda dies in Return of the Jedi five years later. So they're of the same species. I mean, they dress them practically the same. And that was, I feel like that was just Disney marketing department being like, you guys understand we need to make him look exactly like Yoda to sell the dolls, right? But they are not, he is not in fact Yoda. But it's great because we only know Yoda from this species. The in all of the like very sprawling canon that is Star Wars across all of the movies, uh, you know the the legends books, right? Mm-hmm. The video games, like anything you want to take into consideration, Yoda's species isn't named. There's mm-hmm. it's still an enigma. It's still mm-hmm. a mystery. Like we don't know. Like, we don't know. I feel like there's someone out there right now who does know, who's yelling at their phone, like, they're named this, and it was in this comic book. But But they're not. You're sure? I'm very confident. Okay, There is no name for the species. (laughs) And that's part of what's so fascinating, because we only know Yoda. Mm -hmm. Um, We, and we have this mystery, like, where, you know, it's, it feels very much like we're going to go on this journey to learn more about the species, right? We don't know if the child is so important because it's specifically the child. Right. Or if it's related to, you know, his mysterious origins and the species origins. Like, there's so much in the air. But it's just so thrilling to see him use the Force kind of at the end of the episode. Mm-hmm. and to On see something big. He on used something it on massive. A, a, like, several hundred kilos beast. Vicious beast. He just lifts him up into the air. And it looks very much like he's really in control of what he's doing, too. Yeah. Which is fascinating, because I think we all assumed he's going to be Force-sensitive. I definitely didn't assume he was going to be that Force-sensitive mm-hmm. or that in control. But, you know, as a as a fan, I am just on the edge of my seat being like, okay, is this because of the species? Is this because of the background? Like, how's this going to tie in? Are we going to find out more? Like, I just, I need to know. I want to see that. <laughs> I want to see it play out. That's what Star Wars does. Is like they uncover something and the fan base immediately goes, what planet is it from? What can it do? Like, it just grips us. And this character really, yeah. Because he, he lifts his little tiny three-fingered hand a few times in the episode and nothing happens because he's interrupted or he's stopped. 
And so when he's finally able to lift that beast, it's a real aha moment. You know, they didn't just use him to, they didn't create a moment where like his force powers, or basically it's telekinesis at this point, to like bring a mug closer to him or to, you know, to, to move a table. Like, no, they, they went big. It's a statement. It's a statement. Absolutely. And it really, so the Mandalorian does feel an obligation to this child because the child saved him from this beast. You know, he becomes less of a bounty and more of another entity that he wants to protect. Um, yeah, it's just, it's a great bonding episode because it, he really goes from, I'm going to get this kid to the person who's paying the bounty in order to make myself rich. Rich in Mandalorian culture is really taking the blocks of gold or whatever they're called and transforming them into your armor so that you are more protected, so that you can do more badass shit, basically. Mm-hmm. Um and it's really important because you do see, like you said, when he attacks the Jawas, it's all, the, the Jawas are essentially useless. They have weapons, but the tank that these homeboys roll in is for real. It is heavily armored. He's, like it, it's, it's very difficult to attack. And he kind of gets, you know, roughed up a little bit. And then he gets even more roughed up when the beast attacks him. And so good armor to a Mandalorian is life. It's really how they'll be able to progress. You know, weapons are a part of their religion. Armor is a part of their religion. We learn through the series. Um, So getting this bounty is very, very important to him. But the connection that he builds with the child kind of supersedes that. And it's, it's, it's lovely and it's done very succinctly. You know, there's no time wasted. You know, there's no meet cute or the story progresses quickly and reasonably and the plot is logical and i just as someone who had to sit through the prequels i appreciate that That's fair. <laughs> i can really appreciate that it also introduces i think both of our favorite side character <gasps> well not introduces but like expands upon oh He's, he's in the pilot, but he's very featured in, in the second episode. I, if we say favorite character, what is his name? Blah. I just know him as like, I have spoken. I have spoken, I have exactly. Spoken. I don't remember his name. Maybe his name was never seen. No, he definitely says his name. I don't remember what it is. But it's voiced, it's a it's a it's a tiny person in a outfit, but it's voiced by Nick Nolte. And he aids the Mandalorian in his quest to get parts for his ship back and to rebuild his ship. And every time he has a profound statement, he ends his sentence with, I have spoken. And that's just how I'm going to talk from now on in any meeting when I just don't want to, when I'm like, I have nothing more to add. I have spoken. It's fantastic. It's so great. It's such a like, all right, conversation over. (laughs) I am the authority. Like, we don't question what I've said. And it's... Badass. It is. And it's what Star Wars does really well when Star Wars is good is not every creature speaks in an alien language. Some people, some creatures are able to speak what we can, what we call English or standard. Um, but they have a different way of organizing their sentences or they have, uh, you know, ca- not catchphrases, but definitely a different way of expressing themselves. Yeah, like, like Yoda's most, I think, iconic. Absolutely. You know, Yoda's really well known. And it, it you know, the Mandalorian always kind of ends it with, this is the way. You know, we, we do this because this is the way. 
Um, and it informs you about the characters so elegantly. It's just really simple, but you kind of know exactly where that character is coming from. So yes, the mechanic Nick Nolte assistant, like you said, he's very, he's diminutive and he doesn't, he's not a fighter. He's not particularly rich or well-armed, but you can tell that he has thought about what he was going to say and that when it's over, he has spoken and it gives him a wonderful authority Without having him to, without having the character do anything necessarily overt, you know, um, I just yeah, it's Star Wars does that really, really, really well, um, and I I I enjoyed the episode and it made me want to keep going, and so then we went to the next episode, episode four, Sanctuary. So as soon as this episode starts, this episode starts on a village. It's very colorful, lots of blues and greens. And they're, they're farming something in ponds, looks like fish, very idyllic, sunny day, children are playing, people are helping other people, and the first thought I had was, gosh, I hope nothing bad happens to these people. But obviously it's going to. <laughs> something horrible's about to happen. Um, and something horrible does happen. They get raided by these, like, dog people, and I, I call them dog people because they have dog faces, I'm not being, like mean or anything they just look like dogs and and these dog people go really far they steal the fish and they destroy their droids and they and they kill a few people and and they basically take away their livelihoods and as soon as that started i was like oh this is the seven samurai episode this is when the villagers get together pool their resources and go find you know the rogue warrior who's going to defend them and it's a trope and it's everywhere but i don't care I was completely on board. I was like, yes, this needs to happen with this character. It's a wonderful trope. It's a great storyline. It's a little predictable, but like the kind of predictable where you're, you know, excited to see what's going to happen next and you feel satisfied when the thing that happens next is a thing you thought it would happen. Next. Yeah, it, it's 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 everything that you want. It really is. Yeah. So the the Mandalorian has the child and he says, okay, we have to lie low. People are looking for us. They land on the planet and very soon thereafter, the villagers find him and, you know, beg for help. And he's like, no, I've got my own issues. I've got a bunch of people looking for me. I cannot help you. Which again is a trope, but like, I don't know. I just kept going along with it. I was like, yeah, yeah, that's fine. They go to the, the, the Mandalorian and the child go to a local pub where the iconic bone broth is drunk mm-hmm. by Baby Yoda. And they meet another fighter who was with the Rebellion, um, who thinks that they're there for her, and it's that classic misunderstanding where they beat the crap out of each other, but then it's like, oh, hey, we're kind of on the, the same side. Fantastic. Yeah, she's um, great. She's a she's wonderful so character. She's so good. She's so so good. And again, what was her name? <laughs> it's almost like we did no research. <laughs> it doesn't matter because the names in Star Wars sometimes like come in and out really fast. Like I did find that if had I not had the subtitles playing during the episodes, I would not have caught the names. Also, different characters pronounce di- the same name differently, which sometimes confuses me. 
But every character is so physically different and dynamic that it's very easy to remember, like, oh, it was that person. Oh, it was that person. So she's the female rebel fighter. That's all you need to know. And with the Mandalorian, they go to this village and decide to protect them because uh, basically they both need to be out of the spotlight. They both need to hide from the people that are looking for them, and they might as well hide in this backwater and help these villagers out. And that's exactly what they do. And it's, again, you you know it's coming. You know what they're going to do. They train the villagers to fight with pointed sticks, quite literally, and blasters. Um, and they realize that the, the bad dog people have uh, imperial tech. They have a walker, which is crazy. I haven't seen a walker, well, I mean, since Return of the Jedi, but... Um, Imperial walkers are coming at them and they find a way to defend the village and it's great. Um, There's nothing special about that storyline, but they just execute it really, really well. Yeah, I think one of the things I like most about the episode, other than the storyline, is just, it's predictable, but it's great. Mm -hmm. It's a really good character building episode. Yes. Uh, You see kind of that like Mando is willing to settle down Mm -hmm. which is really it's fascinating right you know he has this connection with this woman from the village and again another trope (laughs) totally a trope absolutely a trope she's a single mom she's a single mom (laughs) uh you know there's this like well in another world we could you know live here peacefully together do do you ever take off the helmet (laughs) yes yesterday I mean, in front of someone? No. It was just like, I, I mean, yeah. Like, we knew it was coming and it was still good. It's a little cheesy, but like it's, <laughs> it's good cheesy. I don't know. It's fun to watch. I liked seeing that, you know, we're now at a point in his like found fatherhood arc where he's at a point where like he would settle down, would, you know, abandon Maybe not, maybe not fully abandoned, but like kind of fully well, abandoned. The, the minute he takes off that helmet, he can no longer be a warrior. That's how it is in their religion. So he would kind of, you know, they're like, you could put the armor in a chest in the house and keep it and take it when you need it. And he kind of conveys, again, without his face. We cannot see his face. It's epic. He conveys through movement that if he does that, he is no longer who he is. And he... Can he give that up? He would give it up for the child. But wouldn't, could he, wouldn't give it up for this woman. Wouldn't, yeah. <laughs> she's lovely. She's nice. She's real nice. She's real nice gal. But. Not that great. <laughs> but he would give it up for the child. And he's seeing this village as like a place mm-hmm. where like, she's great. She's there. Like that's a bonus. The child is happy. But the child is happy. The and the child could grow up here and yeah. flourish here. And he's seeing that and he's like, all right. Like, you're lovely, and I'll do this, not for you, but because my adopted alien kid seems like he could be pretty chill here. Yeah, and and he can't do it because obviously he can't do it because that would be a terrible way to go, direction to go mid-season. It'd be like a nice end of the storyline. You know, Mando lived peacefully, the child lived peacefully. You know, four episode series. <laughs> We're done. We're done. No, 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 we gotta keep pumping this out um eventually there's a bounty on the mandalorian and the child's head a bounty hunter comes and he realizes he can't stay there 
He's putting the villagers in danger by staying there, which again, another trope, but it was, it, it, like you said, it was a really good character defining episode that needed to happen to push us forward within the series. We needed to know what his limits were, what he was looking for, what was needed for them. Um, what and, he was willing to give up for yeah, this child. We, we um, again because there's not much dialogue. The the Pedro Pascal, the Mandalorian, we we never see his face until maybe the very end, but we never ever see his face, and he's acting with a puppet, like a, a puppet that doesn't speak. Like it's such an insane. <laughs> On paper, you'd see that and be like, "All right, your main character, <laughs> you can't see his face, right?" And your secondary character doesn't talk yeah this isn't gonna work this is not gonna work and it just it it speaks to the 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 insane genius of it so they have to kind of put they're forced to put those characters in situations that i think the audience would easily recognize and easily be able to put themselves in that situation and be like okay what would i do what are the parameters of the situation what would this character do it? What would I do in this character's place? So it makes sense that it's there. Yeah. It's a testament to the writers and the storytelling and Pedro Pascal as an actor. And also like, fuck yeah. Thank you for doing a puppet for, for baby Yoda. Yes. We did not need no CGI Yodas. We're good. CGI (laughs) would have been the easy way out. And I think people would have like groaned a bit, but been like, all right, fine. Yeah. Like, we still would have watched, uh, but thank you. They didn't do CGI. It's a puppet. It's a really cool puppet. He's great. It allows him to be way more emotive and expressive, uh, which is important because again, he doesn't talk. Mm-hmm. So thank you for that. We appreciate it. <laughs> it's not lost on us. We're just putting that out there. Thank you. Thanks, Disney. <laughs> um. All right, in the last episode that we did, The Prisoner, which I I love this episode. When we were deciding on what episodes to pick, you asked me, what is there an episode in particular? And I was like, oh, we have to do this this that one episode because I really enjoyed it. Again, kind of a trope. It's a it's a jailbreak, right? Um, but what I liked about this show was that kind of every episode had its own rhythm and feeling and so with sanctuary we had that rhythm of you could be happy here it's always sunny in this village it didn't rain once you know it's it's kind of this idyllic environment and with the prisoner it's that claustrophobic jailbreak tenseness with other characters of ill repute but again the mandalorian turns out to just be the biggest badass of all the badasses so does it matter what happens in the episode? Like, he, t- he takes on a charge for money to break someone out of, a new re- of the New Republic prison. And it's a floating ship. And so he gets uh, parten- partnered up with Bill Burr. That's not the character's name. It's the comedian who plays the character. But he's brilliant and deserves to be called out. And I want more Bill Burr in season two. I really hope he makes a reappearance. All right. Well, from from, from your mouth to <laughs> Disney CEO's ears. Um, yeah, no, he's great. Um, and so Bill Burr plays like a human kind of bounty hunter character. And there's a demon-looking bounty hunter character who's very, very strong. And then there's... What's the name of that species? The Twi? They have two large tentacles coming out of their head. It's very Star Wars. 
Um, basically, the and a droid. They have a droid mm-hmm. with them. And basically, these four characters are uh, from species that we've always seen in the background of Star Wars. Like, the character that looks like a devil was first seen in the Moss Eisley Cantina in episode four, A New Hope. Like, this is, you know, but it was just a background. The woman bounty, hunt, bounty hunter with the two tentacles, we've seen them as Jedi, we've seen them as uh, slave dancing women in, like, Return of the Jedi. Um, so this is all, like, the background characters coming in and playing this kind of mercenary action team that go in and try to to uh, prison break this this one prisoner. Mm-hmm. Again, I really liked it. It's really good. <laughs> I mean, the prison break goes about how you would expect. You know, this is his former crew that he's running with, right? Or not all of them, but part of Some them. Some of them. Some of them are like the former you know people he used to work with quite closely. There's a relationship dynamic there. And a level of like, all right, I trust these people. Mm -hmm. Uh, And of course, they betray him because like, of course they do. You know, any found family of renegade bounty hunters, you know, who are like on a mission, who you like dipped out on for a while and came back to and were forced to cooperate with. In any story that never goes well. Like, of course they, they, you know, Backstab him. Right. They were going to. We knew that. But again, it's another situation where nothing in it is surprising. Except maybe the fight scenes. Because again, Mandalorian proves that give him any weapon and he'll take out people very creatively. But still very PG-13. Like, you can watch this with your kids. It's fine. It's not It's not gory or anything. Um, so it's the classic, is there honor amongst thieves? And can he now... Knowing what he knows and having the relationship with the child that he does, can he go back to that life? Does he fit in with that life? And actually, did he ever fit in with that life, or did he did do it out of obligation or not you know, knowing another way? Not knowing another way, and so it's a classic. You know, who am I now? Am I still these people? And he, on some level, he knew he was going to be betrayed. He didn't know how, but he found a way out of it but they keep push putting him into situations where he gets to reaffirm his growth which is really beautiful because they have to do it it's not clunky you know what i mean no i i agree and it's satisfying you you obviously in any story you want character growth you know Mm -hmm. that it's kind of one of the benchmarks of what makes a story good Mm -hmm. but it's at the right pacing of character growth and the right stages that it's the most satisfying to watch Mm -hmm. and you feel very it like it feels organic you feel very satisfied watching it play out Mm -hmm. it's maybe a little predictable but like in that way that you're like ah yes that like it's there's a great sense of satisfaction um, like, yeah, this had to happen, and I'm happy that it's happening now, you know? Exactly. And um, I think, to me, the greatest the greatest satisfaction in the episode was when he betrays his betrayers, which, I mean, was coming. That was coming. And he puts a homing beacon on the prisoner that they finally get released, and he, as he's flying away, the homing beacon brings in new, Rebe- new Republic fighters. And it's like, 
X-Wings! <laughs> I literally stood up, fists in the air, and I was like, yeah, X-Wings! <laughs> so, do you want to tell, I can't, do you want to tell people what an X-Wing is? <laughs> I mean, you have to know what an X-Wing is, right? If you've seen, like, any of the movies, you know what an X-Wing is. Look. But Luke Skywalker flies an X-Wing and he destroyed the Death Star. So just the ma- remember that that run on the Death Star, that iconic shot? Those are X-Wings. And it's very satisfying. Oh, man. Uh, because, <laughs> like we've mentioned, there's a lot of elements of Star Wars that we're very accustomed to, like lightsabers mm-hmm. and, and X-Wings <laughs> that are removed yeah. from the Mandalorian because we're not dealing with this massive grand scale battle we're dealing with like an individual battle, mm-hmm. right? Like this one character's fight instead of, you know, a fight for everyone. So you don't see lightsabers other than yeah, the dark saber at the end, but I want to get into a different tangent about that. That doesn't fit into this moment, but <laughs> you'll rant in a minute, <laughs> but you don't see lightsabers. You don't really see, you know, X-wings and battleships and things. Right. No. So, that nod that's like not really related to our story, but you know, we still get to see it. It's Classic. so thrilling. So satisfying. And I think it's even satisfying for I mean, I don't know why you would watch The Mandalorian if you haven't seen the rest of Star Wars, but maybe you did. You know, maybe some people just started with The Mandalorian. Everyone starts somewhere. Even if you don't recognize what an X-Wing is, it's a very satisfying ending because the people who betrayed them betrayed the Mandalorian. Get their comeuppance. And so it's a great way to end the story. But if you're a Star Wars fan, it's just epic. It's epic. I was so excited. So, okay. Okay. Those were the three episodes. Would you restock? Would you re-steep? And what did you drink while you watched this? So I drank Dark Side, which is a tea from a lovely company called Geek and Tea. Oh, that's a little on the nose. <laughs> yeah. It's perfectly on the nose. It's a perfectly on the nose choice. You know, if you own a Star Wars tea, why would you not drink your Star Wars tea during your Star Wars rewatch or mm-hmm. Mandalorian rewatch? So it would have been great for that surface level reason alone. Right. But the tea is a lapsing, souchong, and uh, maple flavor. So, so very... smoky and maple. Exactly. And a very sweet, gooey, almost pancakey maple. Mm. And then this very, like, heavy, um, super, like, campfire-y smoke. Mm. And it felt great even regardless of the name uh, as a pairing. Mm -hmm. Because you have this world, uh, our character, you're seeing him in a lot of, like, dingier, uh, war-torn landscapes, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the seedy underbellies and criminal areas of different planets, Mm -hmm. right? Like very, uh, I don't know, ravished? Is that... It's the the old future of Star Wars. Like Star Wars really introduced a vision of the future that was not pristine and perfect and clean. It was used. It had seen some shit basically exactly. so the the smoke notes of that lap saying i could like picture that mm. smell in almost any setting we were for the entire series nice but the warm sweet kind of gooier maple notes uh really worked with the endearing and heartwarming and you know character building qualities and you know, the sweet connections between characters and how soft those moments felt so i felt like i got 
both sides of kind of what I love most about this series. That's awesome. That sounds like a really good pairing. I almost went for that tea because I also have a sample of that tea and it seemed obvious. But then I had a friend text me and she knows about the podcast and she said, hey, are you going to do Star Wars at some point? And I, I try to keep it on the DL. I'm like, yeah, maybe. I don't know. And she goes, well, look, if you do Star Wars, you have to do Yoda and matcha. You have to drink a matcha for Yoda. And I was like, all right, I'll take requests. <laughs> like, fine. Um, so the thinking behind that is I chose a Grand Cru Matcha from David's Tea because it's what I had on hand. I'm not a big matcha drinker usually. Um, so I basically had like three matchas to choose from. So that's the one I picked. And I thought, this is great. I'm going to whisk it up and then I'm going to drink it um, in a bowl, very much like Baby Yoda drinking his broth. I'll be on theme. Yay. But I couldn't find my matcha bowl like anywhere. Like I looked everywhere. I must have put it in storage because I use it so infrequently. So I ended up whisking up my matcha and pouring it into this ceramic um, Moroccan teacup that I have. And it was kind of perfect because... The, not only the tea, but the way I drank it. So the tea itself was very earthy, kind of gritty, because I'm not like a, a whisking master. So like there was still some, you know, powder and sediment in there. Uh, nice and green, but smooth. And I had it in this tiny little cup. And I really felt like I was sitting around a campfire with a bunch of rogue samurais, like a bunch of ronins right before they go into their final battle. It felt very solitary and meditative but kind of badass at the same time so it worked for that particular aspect of the show which is that kind of spaghetti western aspect so i, I i'd do it again and i'll probably do it again because i i am going to restock this i don't know about you absolutely we've already said when this comes out the second season will also be out i'm sure we'll both have watched it it shouldn't be a question at this point based on our you know backgrounds on star wars that we shared um this conversation <laughs> like we're we're both massive star wars fans i have a star wars tattoo like yeah the dedication is real <laughs> you know once you put a franchise on your body it's kind of like saying like all right whatever you put out like i'm all right you I'm got down. me you got me i'm like, down you gotta really fuck up to to, like, make me take back putting something permanently on my body. True that. True that. Um, I am currently watching Clone Wars. Okay. Which is, you know, the animated uh, series that takes place in between episode two and episode three. Okay. And after that, I plan on watching Rebels. Right. Uh, both of these are often, I think, dismissed as children's shows. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, they are canon. Um. <laughs> like the weight you put to the, they're they, canon. They are canon. <laughs> and they're very beloved. They have a really, really big fan base, um, for a very long time. It was the only on-screen Star Wars that people got while they were waiting, uh, for episode seven. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Right? So this was really the only thing people had to watch. Yeah. I'm still catching up on it, but I'm loving it. I think it's great. And there are a lot of things that I'm picking up on it uh, that I think will probably uh, lead for really interesting areas that the season could go in the second season for, for Mandalorian. Mm -hmm. So, like, we end in the final episode with the Darksaber. Yeah. The Darksaber is so cool. 
I gasped when I saw it. It was like, <laughs> oh my God. One, how did Moff Gideon get the Darksaber that doesn't fit the current Darksaber timeline? I okay. need to know the... I need to know. Right. Right? Like, how did we get from where we are to him having it? There's mm-hmm. there's no explanation for that. I hope it's explored. But it sets up beautifully this further explanation of Mandalore and their background. Um, I'm I'm on a massive tangent right now. I don't know if you're following. I'm, I'm, I'm following. All I keep thinking, though, is I'm so happy for you that you have this whole world to explore. And I love Star Wars. I, I, I have a Star Trek tattoo, not a Star Wars tattoo. So that explains kind of my level of implication in comparison to you. Um, I'm hearing you say all this, and it sounds really interesting, but it, it's the same way I feel about the Star Wars franchise as a whole. And I don't remember if I've said it already, but, you know, for every great Star Wars moment, you have an equally just terrifyingly horrible Star Wars moment. You know, for every, no, Luke, I am your father, there is a real-time pod race that George Lucas is going to make you watch. You know what I mean? Like, you're going to watch... So... I kind of want you to watch it and then tell me about it because it's... I'm going to re-steep Mandalorian and I'm very happy for this extended universe out there, but I think it's going to get drug in, though. I think you're going to have to acknowledge parts of Clone Wars. I acknowledge it exists and I acknowledge that Wikipedia also exists and I can just read what happened. (laughs) There are characters, though, very beloved characters in Clone Wars who have been confirmed to make appearances in the second season of of Mandalorian. So Ahsoka. uh, I know who that is. I do know who it is. I saw the first season. Anakin's Padawan, uh, Ahsoka, is confirmed to be in the second season Mm -hmm. of Mandalorian. It's going to be her first on-screen, like, live-action appearance. Wait, how does that make sense? Isn't she dead? She's not dead. Oh, she's not dead. She's not dead. Oh, no. See, no, I'm going to just... Okay, Kelly, I love you, and I trust you, and this is... I'm super excited for you. You're currently rubbing your hands together in delight, and I think that's great, but this is too much for me. Now, I'm going to just rewatch... I'm going to keep watching Mandalorian, and I'm just going to periodically text you and be like, why is this cool? Why is this? That's fair. But... (laughs) I don't know. I still need to get it out of my system, though. Do it. Do it. Let us know. Let us know. So Ahsoka's going to be in the second season. Uh, if you're not familiar with Ahsoka, she was Anakin's Padawan mm-hmm. in Clone Wars mm-hmm. uh, and is a very beloved character. And to kind of give an example of that, when Ray hears all of the different Force ghosts in the sequel. In the last movie In the last movie, out. the most recent one, she hears Ahsoka, too. Yeah. Which is crazy, because Ahsoka has really only been in Clone Wars and Rebels, these animated TV series. She's never been in one of the main movies. But she's that well-loved. Yeah, she's a pretty awesome... I mean, from what I've seen, I saw the first season of Clone Wars... And she was awesome then. And I know she only gets more and more cool, but yeah. Uh, There's also going to be Bo-Katan, who I don't know if you know who Bo-Katan is, but to give some background, uh, and and I feel like I have to give the background because it's such a beautiful and juicy setup for for the next season. So the Darksaber used to be owned by Satine, who was this peaceful ruler of Mandalore. Mm-hmm. Uh, she led, you know, a very, like, peaceful and um, not war-driven society. Okay. 
And Bo-Katan is her sister. Okay. Oh, let so, me guess. Is she evil? No, no, no. Okay. <laughs> no, no, no. She's, she's a really cool character. Um, but it's this really interesting dynamic because Bo-Katan has also been the owner of the Darksaber at one point in time. Okay. So we're really setting up this really great backstory for the Darksaber for Mandalore to explore in live action their history that's been flushed out through Clone Wars and Rebels. There's an interesting connection too, though, because Satine was once the lover of Obi-Wan Kenobi. Okay, now you... I was seriously, like, listening out of respect, but now I'm like, okay, you got me. <laughs> so... We also know okay. it's been confirmed Ewan McGregor is going to be returning to the role... Of Obi-Wan Kenobi. Ewan? <laughs> in either a movie or a miniseries. But okay. he is confirmed to be returning. So this is such a juicy setup because you have history for Mandalore. You have history of the Darksaber. Aww. The characters they're bringing in to explore this history are characters who have direct connections to Obi-Wan. Uh. So second season of Mandalorian is so well rounded out. To introduce all of these characters that are very integrated with one another and set up whatever they decide to do with Ewan McGregor's Obi-Wan. So you have his former lover, the sister of Satine, uh, both of which have connections to Mandalore society and were leaders of Mandalore at one point in time. Ahsoka, who of course has a very close relationship with Obi-Wan. Because Obi-Wan had a close relationship with Anakin. It's all so intertwined, Marika. Oh my god. Okay, you had me at Obi-Wan. I'll I'll watch. It's so good. It's just it's so interesting, like hearing you talk about it because like I, I love Star Wars and there's no doubt about that, but I didn't I haven't gotten into all of the minutiae of the fandom, you know, because it's a lot. It's a lot to it's, take it's a in. Ton. But it does speak to the fan base. So you know, one of the sites that I really like, Archive of Our Own, AO3, with all of the fan fiction out there, um, I went to see how many, not Star Wars fan fiction entries there are, just The Mandalorian. So this show is almost a year old. It's like 10 months old. And there are already 4,300 entries of fan fiction. And it kind of, as you were speaking, I was like, oh yeah, this this fan base is really, really into that. I mean... There are Star Trek TV series or other TV series that have 4,000, over 4,000 entries, but they've been on the air for 20 years. This show's been on the air for 10 months, and there's already over 4,000 entries. Yeah, we're rabid. We are (laughs) rabid fans. And the details are important, and the interconnectedness is important. And it's a great universe to be a part of. I mean, let's be clear. It's a really fun universe to be a part of. I applaud you. I can't wait for you to just tell me everything that happened. <laughs> and, sure. and I will watch it. If it's directly linked to Obi-Wan, I will watch it. That I can I, that I can affirm. I can absolutely say But you're going to watch the second season anyway. Yes, and for sure. And we'll, we'll have to recap uh, in on our website, geeksteep.com. We'll have to recap in our blog whether any of these connections actually, like, end up meaning anything you know of significance if you see into the future with the star wars canon that is something we'll definitely boast about on our blog (laughs) but i'm so excited to see any of these characters on screen in live action and to have this world 
explored and all of these connections. This is a fantastic geek. I'm really glad we talked about Me it. Me too. It's, it's, it's well worth the time and well worth the investment, and I hope everyone does it. Um, but we should stop. We're going to stop, Kelly. All right. It's Star okay. Wars. That's it, there's a lot. There's a lot of meat on this bone, and we need to stop. And I hope everyone goes to see The Mandalorian. I hope they let us know what they thought, because this should not live in a vacuum. So you can go to our website, geeksteep.com, and subscribe and let us know what you thought about The Mandalorian or about our pairings. You can also check us out on Instagram at geeksteep. We always tease the upcoming episodes there. We'd love to keep the conversation going. So if you also want to geek out with me about the possible ways that Clone <laughs> Wars could be connected to the second season of Mandalorian, I absolutely want to do that with you. If you want to tell me I'm going too far, you can do that there as well. No, it's okay. I'll do it for them. Just keep keep it positive on Instagram. <laughs> And, you know, as always, you know, let us know what tea you drank when you watched the episode. If there are any fandoms you want us to check out in the future, we always love to explore different fandoms. And I'm so excited for next week, too, because we are exploring a medium we haven't done yet on the podcast. Yep, first time. It is our first comic book episode. Mm -hmm. I will leave it at that. uh, And you can check us out on Instagram if you want the teas for what comic we chose. But I'm very excited to dip our toes into comics. It's going to be a lot of fun. And I mean, if I don't end the podcast this way, if I don't end a Star Wars podcast this way, I don't know what I'm doing. So may the force be with you, everyone. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.